Welcome to Mistakes Were Made, a podcast about non-monogamy for messy people like us. I'm Sarah, a queer therapist, writer, and journalist, and I'm very excited for today's topic, threesomes, the good, the bad, the misunderstood, and the elusive unicorn. And I'm her husband, Alex, a communications professional and educator and amateur unicorn hunter. Oh my God. <laughs> it begins. <laughs> And I'm here, Jessica, producing this podcast and uh, standing in for all the monogamists out there in the world. (laughs) Thank you, Jessica. Thank you for your service. (laughs) Uh, I'm so excited to have a guest on today's episode. Cassidy Diamond is a filmmaker and event producer with over 15 years of experience producing film events across the United States. Cassidy is also the founder of the Film Event Accessibility Working Group and is an activist for representation in film, media, and the nonprofit sector. She's also one of the smartest, funniest media thinkers I know. She's a close collaborator of ours. Jess, Cass, Alex, and I worked on a number of projects together, including a documentary film called Barzon. And she has a long history of talking about uh, dating and relationships in media, including a project we were involved in back in the day called Woman Seeking Man for Date on Friday, which we're definitely going to dig into (laughs) later. But the main reason we wanted Cassidy on the show today has to do with the many hours we've logged together drinking and gossiping about our love and sex lives. So thank you for being here, Cassidy. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I can't wait. So we're just going to bring that like drunk backyard energy that we know so well mm-hmm. into the podcasting studio today. <laughs> right. All right. It's 11 a.m. on a Monday, so we've so already quick. been drinking, clearly. Drink half a <laughs> box of white wine. <laughs> 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 on it, on it. <laughs> all right, so there's all your general awesomeness, Cassidy. Um, and there's also a bit of a backstory to why we invited you on this episode of the show. So as you know, because of gossiping about our lives, Alex and I have recently started dating together after a couple of years of only dating solo. Um, Some might call it unicorn hunting, which Alex referenced a few moments ago, or the practice of a couple looking for a third person to date together. Um, I understand that unicorn hunting is like kind of a disparaging term, but it's also hilarious. So we're going to keep using it. I don't know. I I don't know if it is or not. I think we should uh, ask, go right to the source, because we realize that we know a real-life unicorn. They do exist in Cassidy, so um, that was part of the reason that we wanted you to come on the show to talk about uh, your experiences there. Um, so, I mean, we want to ask, dive in and write, write in and ask about your experience, but actually I want to ask the question of, of that term, unicorn. Unicorn is that like a thing that you uh, embraced or have like uh, self or what do you think about it? What do you think about it? What does it yeah, mean? Yeah, I mean, I embrace it. Unicorns are like cool, magical creatures. Like they're beautiful. Why not? Um, I feel like we always like as humans need to put labels on something to understand them. And unicorn does not seem like one that I am shutting at the moment. <laughs> Good point. Of all the yeah. things that we could be called for our dating, romantic, sexual practices and orientations, unicorn is actually pretty 
pretty yeah. good. Yeah, and, yeah. It's, it's and nice. I think it's kind of good because, like, it's as like a bi woman, there's always this expectation that you're always down for threesomes, and unicorn kind of puts it in a separate category of like, okay, bi women are one thing, and these people that might be interested in threesomes are something else, and it's that maybe is a smaller group or smaller category of people. Um, so to me, it makes sense to kind of separate it in a way. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it like that. I mean, I think that when we were talking about the term, like when we have like kicked it around or used it kind of jokingly, uh, it's been with the assumption, like Sarah said a second ago, like that it's like, uh, not that it's a bad thing to be, but it's like, I mean, it, it's sort of like the humor behind the term is like, it doesn't exist or it's like very rare. It's like a projection of a couple's desire that like is very hard to find. But then I feel like there are a lot of people out there who kind of like, lean into that self-identify that way or yeah the like, the hunting part i might take more umbrage with than the unicorn <laughs> part fair enough you don't want to be hunted <laughs> <laughs> yeah good point maybe that's that's where the trouble comes in right yeah that's funny and that also kind of speaks to the complexity of the term where there's this kind of i appreciate what you're saying about the distinction between by women and by women who might be interested in having threesomes or dating a couple. Um, but this idea of the kind of flattening and objectification of by women who'd be interested in doing that. So like the hunting, you know, that mm -hmm. would kind of yeah. indicate that you got to get in there yeah. and it's compete a trick. for them. And it's a trick and you got to trap them. We, you got to have a unicorn <laughs> we trap. We actually of some have kind. a children's <laughs> book that our kids really like that's called How to Catch a Unicorn. <laughs> It's not yeah. about this kind of unicorn, <laughs> to I be clear. Not. I would uh, not. But it is funny because, and you never see the unicorn. It just is always like it's like moving through a zoo, like eluding the children and various traps that they've set for it. Um, yeah, it's pretty funny. It also farts glitter, which mm -hmm. I assume is in fact true about <laughs> bi women who want to be unicorns. So hopefully. Right. We'll yeah, get down to yeah, that yeah. as well today's <laughs> podcast. So you can confirm or deny for me. Yeah. <laughs> Are the rumors true? All right. Yeah. So diving in, Cassidy, tell us about your experience as a unicorn and dating couples. Start wherever. Go wherever. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess I'd start with the fact of just like. Uh, where I was in my life. This was about 10 years ago. Um, I had dipped my toe into exploring my bisexuality quite a few times over the years, but I was finding myself um, a bit shunned by the lesbian or, or gay women, you know, demographic women that would say, oh, I don't date by women or you're just going to leave me for a man. And so I'd had some negative experiences there. So I had been predominantly dating men. Um, and then I was also in a job that took me away. Like I would leave town for a couple months at a time. So having a relationship was really difficult. And um, but I was at a period where I was definitely like wanting to explore sex with women more. And I was on like all the dating apps. I probably had like Hinge, Tinder, OkCupid, like all three of them. And I encountered a guy on Tinder who was looking for uh, a third. And, you know, I had 
growing up in the as a teenager in the 90s and a young adult in the 2000s, like I read Savage Love a lot. And um, it was really the first place that I ever encountered unicorns and threesomes and the acceptability of it. So it was in my head as like not something that was taboo necessarily, but something that could be explored. And so I wasn't immediately turned off to the idea of this. And I was I don't know what made me go on this date with this guy, this first date. But I was like, yeah. Let's give it a try. And so the first date was with the with the husband of the married couple. And they were they'd been married for almost 10 years. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where I where I dove in. And my thinking around it was just like, listen, I'm here to have some fun. I'm not looking for a relationship uh, that is like a romantic relationship. I think all sexual relationships are relationships, but, um, I wasn't looking for anything long-term. I wasn't looking to date them either, uh, as like a romantic couple. It was like a purely kind of sexual pursuit though. Of course, over time that gets, you know, muddled, I'd say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where it started. So in that beginning part of the experience what was it like going on a date with the man when did you meet the woman and the couple like how did that transition happen how did it feel good bad or otherwise yeah I mean I feel like in a lot of ways I was really lucky uh to have this couple be my first threesome experience because I don't think that all threesome experiences are positive for some people, but this couple, I think, had been exploring uh, an open marriage for a while and Uh had really good sources of communication between each other, but also to kind of set me up and almost protect me in a way. So it was, you know, when I first went on that date, um, you know, we just kind of chatted about like, each other and what we did and he kept saying like oh my my wife is into this and she's gonna really like want to talk to you about this and it, it was very just like welcoming and and right away um it wasn't like it was a bit like a job interview I felt like a little bit <laughs> but sexy. in like yeah like a yeah, sexy job interview uh but yeah I mean because I was nervous I'd never done this before yeah. and so it was it was interesting. We just went for coffee, so it was like a not like a daytime coffee outside in LA, like hanging out. Um, and we really like he really just kind of laid the ground rules, like what they're looking for, like what their experience was in dating other folks, and you know, really kind of left me open for some questions to see if this is something I wanted to like pursue. And like if, and he's like, the next step would be going on a date with both of us, right? In a neutral location, getting to know both, both of us. Could, can I ask, just like dialing back a little, it, yeah. you, you sort of explained your interest in it in a kind of matter of fact way, but like, <laughs> was it like a thing that you had fantasized about? Like, no. Really? No. It really wasn't something that really, like, to me, like, it was just one of the possibilities Uh of a sexual relationship. But it was nothing. I had never fantasized about it. Interesting. Like, it wasn't it hadn't something occurred that to you. I was, you were just kind of like, oh, this guy says this is what he wants to do. Let me yeah, check it out. Yeah, there's just something. Yeah. And, I, you know, and I, I had listened, you know, I 
have since, you know, reevaluated some of my opinions on Savage Love. But at the time I was like listening to it and there were a lot of just, it was just in my brain as like a possibility and something that could be healthy and didn't have to be this negative thing. So when it was presented to me, it really just felt like, oh, let's give that a try. Like I am up, you know, again, like I'm not looking for a relationship. Let's try something new. Um, But it was definitely not anything that I had ever thought about or like craved or even looked out for. It was really just like the timing felt weirdly right for it. For those listeners who didn't, grow up in Seattle or spend a lot of time in Seattle in the 90s and like early 2000s, Savage Love was Dan Savage's column first in The Stranger, the alternate, one of the alternative newspaper weeklies here, that was hugely influential, I think, in normalizing and making more visible all types of relationships, all types of sex, all types of just like ways of being in the world of love, romance, sex, and intimacy. Uh, and then he, he went on to have some, some iffy takes uh, as like newer, younger generations of people came up through the ranks of media right. in this town um, and still... It, isn't the editor character on that show Shrill supposed, supposed to be, be based him. on him? Yep. Yeah, yeah, it is. The exactly. John Cameron Mitchell character, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I read it because I lived in New York when I first started reading it. It was in alt weeklies all across the country. Right. Um, so the, the column. And yeah, I mean, it was the first time, you know, like growing up, I didn't have a lot of like representation of bisexuality. For a long time, I questioned if I was bi. I was like, well, I'm attracted to men. I thought I just wanted to be like women, uh, gay women. I was just like idolize them, but I didn't. Mm-hmm think I actually was because I also had attraction to men and so reading his column in college really kind of just opened the door to like all the possibilities and to me it just like opened my brain to being open for it and saying okay these can this can be healthy right like this doesn't have to be the way media portrays it or the way society has portrayed this kind of just like sex hungry like person that like wants it all you know Um, the greedy bisexual right exactly the greedy bisexual (laughs) and it's interesting because like you know when I first went on this date um and even when I went on the date with both of them they were just like really cool we had a lot of the similar interests um and they just made me feel really welcome. And I started thinking like, I didn't even think about the sex until like we had our, like made our first like sex date. And then I was like, oh shit, I'm about to have a threesome. Like what is, <laughs> what is this, <laughs> this going to huh. be like? Like how does this work? And I was like so nervous about it. Aww. And then when we got there, we talked it out. And Wait, where was there? To their, their house? I went to their house, yeah. yeah. And it was like completely negotiated and it was incredibly like sexy in that way. Like I think a lot of people are afraid that like premeditation and negotiation of sex is like gonna kill the mood or something. But like when we actually were like before we actually had our first like sexual encounter, like there were ground rules set on like what behaviors were going to be okay or on the table, what what behaviors were off the table, um, like all the way down to like how 
they were comfortable with orgasms and how mm. that was going to play into it. And like, um, so that in some way really helped ease my, my concerns. I'm a talker. So <laughs> being able to talk it out yeah. and like get that information and be like, okay, like it, it helped me see where they were comfortable. Cause like, there's always that feeling of like, Oh, like, is he pressuring her into this? Like, mm-hmm. does she really want this? Like as a woman, I guess I was kind of worried mm-hmm. about that. And like, I could see they were on the same page because they had the, they had already talked about it. Right. Mm-hmm. They had their ground rules for like what was happening. And then they asked me like what I wanted and like what kind of sex I wanted to have. And then like we had a whole evening together and it was incredibly fun, but it really, started to teach me a lot about communication being sexy and sex and being mm-hmm. something that really leads to comfort because I think I didn't find my voice in that before then. Like yeah. I didn't know how to ask for what I wanted, how to say no when I didn't want something. And this was the beginning, you know, I was with them for about four months and it was, yeah, we can get into that, but yeah, that's how, when it started, I mean, that's, that's really, shifted my mind and it was like I'm just was really grateful that I met them because I don't think it always goes that way mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's that sounds really nice um I do feel feel like it's one of the ways that like media and culture kind of steer us wrong is that like this idea that there will be like like spontaneity in any kind of mm-hmm. relationship but certainly like yeah in a in a like threesome that you just like fall into it it just happens nobody expected it and then all of a sudden you're going at it and like uh i think that makes for good storytelling maybe or it's like yeah. you know exciting or interesting but like you know it's not it's not actually going to going to work out that way right like what right. makes good storytelling and then it is could different. be you know like we had planned dates where we knew this was happening so then it's something to anticipate then you're mm-hmm. like ooh, yeah. okay we're doing this thing and i know what it's going to look like and it's not going to be scary and surprising like i know that i am cared for and i know what to expect and then i get to like anticipate that for like a week before we see each other again you know exactly and not to be overly coy so Alex and I, like I said, we're starting to try and date people together for the first time. Um, I think we've done some things wrong and some things right in that process so far. It sounds like a really obvious right thing to do is to be communicative, transparent, inclusive, consent-based. That that's one of the things that really worked for you. What are Mm -hmm. things that you think couples maybe a common mistake that couples make in looking for or in dating a third? Yeah, I think one of the things that I feel like was a bit of a mistake was I wish I had met them both together because meeting him first kind of met, it it felt a bit more like she was a third in our pairing Mm -hmm. and I was a third in their pairing. And that like, and maybe this was just her personality that she was a little bit more reserved and he was a little bit more outgoing, but because I had that initial connection with them, it was like most of my communication, like we were on a group chat, but it would mostly be him and I going Mm. back and forth. Um, And so it felt like sometimes, it almost felt like she could get left out and that made me feel awkward. You know, because I think I didn't know necessarily like 
sometimes and especially at the beginning like is this coming from him or are they both on the same page with this um so i think that's the big thing of just like you know and, and he laid out the ground rules first and right. then i met her kind of so hearing them do that together i think would have made me feel even more comfortable because then it's like you know i want to make sure everyone's game for this because this is you know and I think it took me and her a little bit longer to develop that, but that could just be personalities too. Right. But I think you can't talk about um, threesomes where it's two women and a man, right? If we're just like sort of Mm -hmm. speaking in binaries, uh, where that, the presence of the male gaze or the kind of cultural assumption that what's happening is for the man or that the man is has the kind of concentrated power and attention in the situation, it is absolutely unavoidable. Like you have to think about and talk about that and acknowledge that that's an influence in the culture when, when you're having a relationship or a sexual experience with that arrangement of folks, I think. Yes, I would 100% agree with that. And that, and I think that also was just my default, right? Of like, Oh, he's the one kind of pulling the strings in all of this, right? Like, cause I was still finding my agency in my own sexuality and having that primary relationship with him kind of was like, oh, I'm just gonna default to him. He's the one that knows the most that he's done this before. He's guiding me. So it was like, in some ways I did take a kind of this more subservient role in that of just like, I'm learning and I'm like, it's like growing and trying to figure out how I'm gonna, you know, and over time with them, I was able to find my voice and figure out what I was doing. But definitely in the beginning, it was kind of like, oh, he's just kind of, and not in a bad way, the puppet master, like in a, in a he's leading us along, <laughs> yeah. he's leading us along, you know, like he's, he's, he's kind of like making the conditions for this to happen, but it never felt like, manipulative or for his gaze but it's it's there yeah. like yeah. you said it's, it's over all of it for I sure mean, i feel like that's that's just an interesting point that like regardless of what the person is actually doing like the man in that situation is actually doing there's this sort of like cultural gravity that he's gonna have um because of like expectations and then it's like and, from that and position patriarchy what what patriarchy? <laughs> <laughs> Neutral culture. No, yeah, uh, yeah, because of patriarchy. Um, and so, if you're in that position as the man in that situation, like you have to kind of decide whether you try to like embody that in some way, which it kind of sounds like maybe he was doing, or mm-hmm. whether you try to like diffuse that in some way. But is that even possible? Um, I mean, I, what this makes me really curious about is talking about it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Three right. people acknowledging, acknowledging and yeah. talking about it and seeing like where is there things about that that might be fun to play with or things about that that wouldn't be fun to play with. Where are we all in regards to that and making that part of the communication and even part of the sexy communication. Um, yeah, for sure. The more I think about non-monogamy and non-traditional relationships, the more I see that the great advantage of them is that because you're off script, you have to talk about more things and you have to pull things that normally would just be the air you're breathing and the water you're swimming in. You have to look at them differently. And instead of ignoring that or seeing that as a barrier to the fun, actually seeing that as the material for it. Like that's just something I'm constantly trying to reorient around. You said something recently about how 
I'm gonna attribute to you, I'm sure it came from somebody else, about how sex is like play for adults. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, with these dynamics being there, just, you know, in any situation, like it's, you know, they're in this situation, there are two women and one man and, you know, it's there. So like having the opportunity to like explore that in a fun way, you know, through explore sex. Explore it like in a fun way, reject it in a fun way, incorporate right. it in a fun way. You know, there's, uh, it was actually an ex-partner of mine who said that he had heard this concept that sex was like imaginative play for adults. Um, and it has really stuck with me. And if I may just make like a kind of weird detour into talking about watching our kids play for a moment. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it's like, is there some like radio sound that could just be like a boundary that's like uh -huh. a gong? And they're like, yeah. we're now talking about, a we talked about sex and now we're talking about children. Ugh. No, yeah. um, it's, it's a valid segue to make. That's what I was thinking about too. Yeah. Our kids are really into playing like prisoner and jail card <laughs> right now. Um, and they've also grown up going to um, Black Lives Matter protests and like are familiar with the idea of prisons being inherently like not great. Um, and those power dynamics being something that we examine and think about. And so it's interesting watching them also enjoy acting some of those out and and just like wondering about, I mean, they're yeah, they're seven you, and four, so I'm not going to attribute like too much complexity to. I mean, that they're going to have like a prison kink when they grow up. <laughs> <Is that weird? laughs> no, right, I, I guess that was where the, I was going with that. You play at the stuff that is like hard or confusing yeah. or like you know maybe that's kind of stressing you out, and like kids will be doing that. They're they're doing that in that and situation, that's how they're and working then, like, it out. Adults might do that in the kind of situation that we're talking about too, right? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting, you know, I guess to bring him up again, Dan Savage used to say like kink is very often, especially like bondage is like cops and robbers for adults, like with your clothes off. And that's what he I'm kind of was saying. I'm almost positive now that Dan Savage is the person who we would attribute yeah. this quote to, the, that sex is play for adults. Oh, huh, yeah. I, I bet you money. I would, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would. I would guess so. But I think it's also it's, you know, I in kind of thinking about talking about this, I was thinking about the like influence this relationship had on me. And I do think this like having the space to be able to communicate and play and like I hadn't had a lot of sex with women. So like I got to kind of like experiment and have fun in a safe situation. Um, I after that four months came out with much more of a voice about being able to speak about what I want and don't want in relationships. It helped me discover like how that I really am attracted to women and that I really do like sex with women. And it's not just something I thought I wanted, but like didn't really want. Um, and I feel like I really was like going to school or something. Like I felt like I came out of that relationship with a more solid understanding of who I was as a sexual person and like what I wanted and what I wanted out of relationships. And like that communication part is like the biggest part that I took away was like, it was comfortable because we were always talking mm. and like, it only ended because they moved, they moved out of a city. But like, I often think like, what would have happened if they didn't move? Because like it was working and like it, it ended up, you know, just being a really comfortable space for all of us, which was like an exciting place to play and learn new things about myself. 
Wow. I have so many follow-up questions. <laughs> I do too. I, but one of them is, I hear you talking about, as someone who was getting into dating a couple, some of the things that really felt right or you feel like you did right and positive lessons that you gained out of that. I'm curious if you have any insight on a common mistake the unicorn, if you will, might make going into dating a couple. We've kind of looked at it from the other side, but... Yeah, yeah. That's a good question. I mean, I definitely feel like this was a safe space for me to figure out what I wanted and what I wanted to be, but I could see that if you came in with a kind of naivety and lack of grounding that I had, how that could also go really wrong. Um... And kind of um, playing, and I guess like if you're not intentionally playing dom sub things, like I feel like the 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 unicorn in some ways, like I felt like I wish I had known more about who I was in this sexual relationship, like what kind of sex I wanted to be having, and I I was gracious enough to be in in an environment where I was able to explore that but I can see how that could that could not be a good thing Mm -hmm. in a in maybe an unsafe relationship or 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 a place where that trust is not built right away where you could Um, feel pressure to do things that you ultimately didn't want to do exactly feel pressure to do things you don't want to do um because you are you are walking into a situation with people that have an established communication style and established relationship who know each other very well and you know I only went on two dates with them before we had sex together and like that could have like you are in a vulnerable position in a way because you it is two against one (laughs) like you are walking into a space where you are the new factor and um I think that you know if Obviously, there's a burden, not a burden, but a a responsibility placed on the couple to like own that space and own that dynamic. But also, I feel like the unicorn should also be able to hold their own ground and know what they want Mm. Um, in order to enter that space with like a more on more equal footing rather than just stepping in in a more subservient role, which is what I felt like I did. And it worked out for me, but I've definitely been in monogamous relationships walking in like that that did not that did not end well Mm -hmm. that ended in me doing things I didn't want to do me ending up in violent situations Mm -hmm. with people that I had just only been on one or two dates with Mm -hmm. having sex I didn't want to have sex you know like that happened with one person I can imagine with two people in the room that's just as likely to happen whether it's a man and a woman or two women or whatever just having those dynamics I think that I wish I had done a little bit more thinking about it I kind of just ran into it and I lucked out but I've run into it in other situations and it really got hurt so I didn't learn that lesson the first time and I kind of you know it worked out for me this time but I could see it it really not working out and and being a a harmful experience if if you're not in a safe environment. Yeah. And the complexity of consent here that the, we know enthusiastic consent uh, is also about feeling safe from emotional and social pressure. And of course, dynamics where two people are in a really established relationship 
and you're not yet, the potential for that social emotional pressure uh, to be really strong is potentially magnified. Mm-hmm. I might be like getting ahead of myself a little bit, but like it does seem like with, with a three-way dynamic where the you know two of the people have an established relationship. There's a bunch of like assumed consent between them that can maybe be like yes. it sounds like in this scenario was sort of represented by the man when you met him at first, but like kind of doesn't. It almost like maybe it's a good thing for that to be reestablished for the benefit of the new person because otherwise yes. you don't know. Like it's when you were talking about like the sort of danger part of it. Um, I, where my head goes to is always like, what are the dynamics between them that might be like toxic or unstable that might bring out stuff that would be, you know, abusive or yeah. harmful to you. So it just seems like seeing them, you know, not just say, this is what we want, you know, presenting mm-hmm. some sort of united front where like that's already said. And one person is saying, this is how we are. This is what we want. How are we going to bring you into that? But like more of a th- three-way dialogue yeah could be individual good. people i completely agree with that because i do think like i did not know or understand their dynamic for months right until we had actually like gone beyond just having sex and um i think that or you know or had been been spending time together for more than a couple months so that I didn't really, I definitely saw them as a unit in a lot of ways and not as individual people and their relationship with each other sometimes, you know, not, not, yeah. not while we're actively having sex, but when we're speaking and communicating, it was kind of like a we and me thing mm-hmm. very often. Um, I don't think in every situation, but I think, yeah, being able to separate three individual people out of the situation is definitely really important. To to that end, can you talk a little bit about like the operational details of like, you said you dated them for like four months. What did it, how did it evolve? Did you ever go out with them like independently? Um, Yeah, what what did it kind of look like? No, I mean, most of the time we just, we, we would hang out weekly. I would go to their house. We would have drinks, watch some porn, have sex, like just like hang out at their house uh, all night. Um, and then, but I never spent the night. I always would go home um, at the end of the night. And it did evolve into like, I cat sat for them when they went out of town a few times and things like that. Um, but we never really went out. It was really like, this is the three of us in a, in a sexual relationship. Obviously we texted in between and we didn't just have sex all night. We talked and we had, you know, we, we had a relationship, but it was really uh, in the home. Like we didn't go out together. Um, and like date really mm-hmm. in that way. I'm curious about that. And it sounds like something we might be able to get some listener feedback on or explore a little bit more. The distinction between having a threesome relationship that is entirely or mostly based around like sex and getting together to have threesomes and dating as a couple, um, what the distinctions are there. I'm also curious about the relationships inside of the three people, you know, um, Mm -hmm. folks going out together, two of them communicating in parallel. You know, I I think there's a lot more to explore there and there's probably folks out there that know and have experience with that. And I definitely will say that like, as things went along, 
I definitely kind of got the vibe and we didn't talk about this. So this is something I would have wanted to do as well, that he wanted more of a relationship with the three of us. And she was like holding back and just like, I just want this to be a sexual relationship. My marriage is my primary, like very holding on to that. I could, I felt that after time, like I felt that distance from her over time of like kind of wanting to protect it felt very protective where mm. he felt a lot more like, oh, this is great. Like we we're loving this. Like, let's keep this going and like building on this. Mm. Um, but we didn't ever talk about that dynamic. Mm. And I think we could all feel it. Mm. Interesting. I mean, I felt it. I assume they felt that dynamic, but we never talked about it. So that's something I would also have done is like over time, right? Four months is a decent amount of time. We were hanging out practically every week. Things are going to, the relationship's going to evolve. There are mm-hmm. going to be feelings, whether we're going out into public or not, there's going to be things that have to be negotiated. And we never really retouched back on that. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. always kind of like, let's talk about the sex, but like not talking about the kind of emotional evolution that happened at that same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you kind of get into a pattern and then it's easy to follow that mm-hmm. pattern. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this comes up a lot when we talk about um, basically, I mean, you've talked about this, like with your clients as well, that usually in a couple, there's some kind of, you know, it's hard to be on exactly the same page or like the one partner, it's a little bit like easier, uh, like non-monogamy is a little bit, comes a little bit easier or feels more natural than another partner. And we talked to some friends who had been in like a four way relationship and they described a similar dynamic where one of the people in the other couple just kind of at some point sort of like kind of stepped back and was clearly like it had gone to further than they want to. And, you know, the whole thing kind of got disrupted by, you know, one person being less comfortable with it than the other people did, which I mean, I guess I just feel like that that shows up all the time. It's pretty hard for everybody to be exactly on the same page. And I guess you need mm-hmm. constant communication and for it to feel like everybody can kind of say what yeah. they what they're feeling. Yeah, I, I agree. And when I think about like if I play this out, I don't know that I would have stayed in that relationship. Like now as I am, I am in like a four year monogamous relationship with my girlfriend and like I don't think about threesomes at all like that's not it's not like so I wonder if it was like a right time right place for me and when that would have ran its course because it's like going back to what you asked Alex it's like it's not something that I've like deeply craved or deeply thought about or have been like even since that experience I was like in wonder of that relationship and really loved that relationship and think of it fondly but it's not something I have necessarily sought out sense again in in my primary relationships like i think that in that way it's like i could see if i were single being a unicorn again but i don't know when i am in a monogamous relationship that i am looking for a third Mm -hmm. which is an interesting thing that i've thought of (laughs) that i thought about i have heard that from other people and in my experience women who are interested in being unicorns or are who say they're not necessarily interested in the other side of that experience Um, yeah which is worth noting probably just has to do with your zodiac sign i'm sure whether you're unicorn material or (laughs) yeah yeah. i don't know what to call the other people (laughs) we need a mythical creature that goes (laughs) along you know 
The right, the unicorn like a, appreciator. Yeah, like the, the Cerebus. Yeti. What is the? <laughs> what is like a two-headed? Never mind. Uh, <laughs> we'll do some research on that yeah, later. Sure, mythology research. Um. So okay, hmm. There's like a couple of things that I really want to ask about related to that. I think one of them is this common refrain. Well, before I say that, again, I hear this theme over and over in our podcast and folks we talk to about non-monogamy, this idea that relationships evolve and you want to have communication up top about what expectations are and what people are interested in, but you also have to have regular communication throughout. It's not like you're making this like one contract that everyone's opting into and then it's going to stay that way for eternity or when you break up and nobody really understands what happened. Um, But that there has to be some like space for things to evolve, for dynamics to shift. And that can be really scary. You know, it's like, it feels super true and healthy and also scary. Yeah. I didn't have the language to have that conversation. And I definitely felt that as we had evolved in the beginning, we had this super communicative, super stable kind of like starting place. And I still felt like we communicated about the sex we were having very well, Um, like as that evolved and as, you know, our boundaries with that evolved. But the emotional side, I don't think we ever properly addressed. Like we created safety, but there was never a touch point back on like, and I think I also was not in touch with myself enough to know like how I was actually feeling. Yeah. I was 30. I was like, you know, I was younger. I mean, younger. 30's not young to some people, but it is to me. It feels young in comparison to how old I am now. Yeah, I think it, that, that touching back is super, super important. Okay, I want to ask about this the sex part a little bit. Uh, asking for a friend, two friends actually. <laughs> yes. Um, about, uh, cause you said you had a lot of communication around that and you're talking about it very like kind of matter of factly, which I, I admire a lot that it sounds like that came pretty naturally, but I don't think for everybody um, that feels like the easiest thing to do. So like, would you tell us a little bit more about like how that, how that went? Like, would you talk about ahead of time? Like, here's like things that I would like to try you know, like in specific details, um, yeah. would you talk about it like during, um, I think again, going back to that, like we all just fall into bed and roll around and then fade to black. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what most of us have in yeah. our minds. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, and like, I, again, I learned from Dan Savage at this point, when we first started, I asked them, what are your rules? Like, what are your rules between yourselves? Like for this sex, like what, what are your expectations around what this is going to happen? And like, so before we even had sex for the first time, we talked about what we wanted, where I was like, this is the kind of sex I like to have. This is the kind of sex I might be interested in having, um, with both people. Um, and then they kind of gave me their rules. Like they had a rule where like, um, he was not allowed to come inside me, Mm -hmm. like got that specific, Mm -hmm. like, and that was something that they had negotiated with themselves that felt like a boundary 
mm-hmm. that was too far to cross. And so we talked about that in the beginning. And then every time we'd get together, we'd be like, well, what do, what do we want to do tonight? Like, what do we, you know, like what is, what's interesting and on the table for that? Um, we never did touch back on those rules, like those rules that were established in the beginning stayed throughout. And I don't really ever remember there being a point where they got crossed. I mean, it definitely makes, you know, uh, like there was like, you know, at the time, like I was like not interested in anyone having oral sex with me. And so like that was something that was like always respected like that, you know, like, but we never really we just held those rules, but we never went back and renegotiated them or like touched back on them. But even though we were having different sex, Mm -hmm. right? So like, because every time we would kind of talk about what we wanted to do, but the rules kind of stayed the same throughout. And I think we probably could have revisited them, but maybe they were just happy with them and that was fine. Hmm. Um, I felt fine with my rules and they were respected. Like I didn't feel like I, needed to renegotiate my roles. Yeah. Yeah, and again, this idea of having open communication where you get to keep letting things evolve. Um, But it's also, I keep coming back to this idea of that being scary. Mm -hmm. And Um, hard, yeah. And hard. It's easy to say, but it's not necessarily easy to do. And like inside of that, I think, is a fear of like, you know, there's vulnerability and like a fear of rejection in expressing your desires to one other person, much less mm-hmm. two other people. Right. Yeah. Or, I mean, the fear of not being enough also, um, of being left out. I think you can't talk about threesomes of any kind and not talk about right. the common refrain that someone will be left out. Uh, yeah, well, cause you, all three of you cannot be totally engaged with each other at all times. Like right. there is always a time where there is someone like observing or that might not feel like part of the primary activity, mm-hmm. um, for sure. And that's something that I feel like you also just have to find ways to like, maybe get pleasure out of that or take a break and like go drink some water and like come back or, you know, maybe just like find, find those ways. But that's definitely something that happens um, or can happen. And yeah, I hear that a lot or a fair amount from clients also that that's a challenge. There's this tension between the desire to be in threesome dynamics, uh, romantic and sexual, and then this kind of underlying fear all the time of being, left out or of feeling extraneous or of being Mm -hmm. the third wheel that that's really like both of those things are always present um yeah and i will say like i know this is like a weird logistics thing but like having the space to have sex with three people like just sticking to like a little couch or a small bed like where where there's more opportunity for someone to like not fit into the situation if that makes sense uh-huh. <laughs> to like you know not like and like you know again uh we would they had a large like l-shaped couch and so we could all be in the same space with each other and it wasn't like someone's like off to the side off the bed or someone's like you know like it that just like the logistics of that Interesting. was nice are you <laughs> like shilling like for a furniture company right now <laughs> I know, <right? laughs> 
<laughs> and if you want a great L-shaped couch, go to sponsorships available yeah. <laughs> for L-shaped couch yeah. manufacturers. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Um, the logistics—they yeah. are important. Yeah. I want to get back to this idea of not being the center of attention, being yeah. left out, and some of the therapeutic themes in that. Um, yeah, I want to get back to that. I'm curious, though, just as an aside, and because I think it might provide us with some good material going forward, when you think about cultural representations of threesomes, Cassidy, good, bad, ugly, what comes to mind? What, what media or cultural representations get it right, get it wrong? you think you know that's i was thinking about that and i don't have a good answer to that and i watch a lot of media um (laughs) which in and of itself might be an answer yeah yeah i mean i think that is part of it i mean it's the same with like bisexuality in that way like there just aren't a lot of really good representations that i would be like yes that's that's what it's like um and i think very often in movies it's it's the source of a future problem right Right. of course yeah 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 i i like uh i did some some googles on this i don't know if you guys have heard of google but it's a great search engine um just because i was curious too and what i found was i was surprised to find a couple things like most of the cultural representations in movies and stuff are two men and one woman um, like that comes up mm-hmm. more often than I would have expected. Um, what examples are you thinking? Well, of? like there's that movie Itu Mama Tambien um, sure. that I think is is probably mm-hmm. I, I remember it being a really good movie. Um, I don't know about like the representations in it, but it's like in that movie, it's like kind of the two younger men like exploring their homosexuality through a relationship with an older woman, or like a road trip with an older woman that like turns into a three way relationship, and at the end, like. I'm almost positive that you're re-envisioning her as an older woman, which I'm loving. Well, older than them. Is she? They're like supposed to be like barely teenagers or something, and she's supposed to be, yeah. Maybe. Yes. Okay. All I right. I mean, we I can fact so. check it. But right. uh, and then there was the one that comes to mind for me is there was a movie like in the, that came in the like on the tales of reality bites and those kind of Gen Xy movies. There was a movie called Threesome uh, that had one of the Baldwins and Laura Flynn Boyle and some other guy. And I saw, I remember because I saw this movie. See, some other guy. Someone's always left out. Just erase that guy. (laughs) Uh, I saw it in middle school when I was way too young, you know, uh, with two girls that I was friends with. And it was, it made me very uncomfortable. Like it was, uh, I don't think it was a very good movie at all. But again, that movie was like, it was like they kind of had parallel relationships. And then it ended up that like one of the guys was gay or bi and you know the the two men connected i think that that showing up more often is only because of like centering male experience and storytelling basically like it's like like you would have to a movie that was about two women and one man would almost by definition have to like pass the bechdel test and no one wants, no one to, wants do to make that. a movie that passes the Bechdel test. So let's just put more men in it um, so they can be talking about that. But then I think there, the other category is there's some like sort of male gaze fantasy movies that are, you know, you were mentioning, I think you said Wild Things is the one that. Yeah, Wild Things is like the only thing that comes to mind, Same. which is like, yeah. 
And Speaking there was that of one my with, uh, own middle school viewing of movies yeah. with my good girlfriends, where yeah. I was like, uh... <laughs> You're like, wouldn't that be wild? They're crazy. <laughs> yeah, and there was That's one with Keanu up. Reeves that came out recently where, like, Ana de Armas and some lady, other lady, like, show up at Keanu Reeves' house, like, soaking wet, and I don't, I don't know what <laughs> the plot yeah. really is, but it just turns into... Uh, a threesome yeah yeah super male gazy or turns out to be a plot point to create yeah problems for everyone involved yeah so like drawing on that to like try and figure out how to do it in real life is gonna be confusing and probably not mm-hmm. probably not work very well all right my media nerds who wants to define the bechdel test for our listeners Cassidy, i'm looking at you well, my basic understanding is that it's there has to be at least one scene where two women are engaging in conversation and they are not talking about a man. It's a very basic rule. <laughs> Jessica's and it, just picked up the mic. <laughs> She's like, did someone say Bechdel test? Just to add that the, the female characters have to be named. They have to have a name. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, they have and, to have names and not talking about a man. And to say that a lot of our films do not pass that is so sad. It's very depressing. Woof. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing none of the films that we've talked about representing um, threesomes would. If I Again, if I had to put money on it. Yeah, and even things like I mean, this isn't, there weren't necessarily threesomes, but like even in like White Lotus, you know, it's not very happening very much in more like modern, progressive, no. oh, interesting no. shows like that either. Definitely not. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to ask Cassidy if there was anything else you wanted to make sure that we touched on before we take a break uh, or followed up on. No, I mean, I feel, I feel really just like honored to be able to talk about this because I feel like in a lot of ways like I don't always share that I had this relationship because I feel like there is a lot of judgment around threesomes and you know even just dating a married couple and especially this was 10 years ago which Mm. you know isn't that long or it was like eight years ago or so I still feel like you know the thinking is evolving on it and there's definitely like a stigma that I feel like I sometimes especially in non-queer circles would just like not even talk about um Mm -hmm. so it feels really great to be able to talk about some of the positive aspects of queer relationships that aren't just you know yeah i'm so glad okay cassidy it has been so fun talking to you about this thank you for bringing that box of white wine backyard gossip energy along with like the higher level media nerd um, gender and queerness analysis that you always do I really I've really had so much fun talking about this and it's made me feel I don't know if the right word is hopeful maybe excited and hopeful about dating in a triad and how it can be a really positive experience and how all of these cool lessons from non-monogamy and queerness of going off script are concentrated in threesomes in a really interesting and potentially powerful way. Yeah. I'm really glad you were able to share like a positive example. I mean, I'm glad that you had a positive experience as well, but um, 
yeah, like you were saying, there's so many like uh, harder, you know, bad experiences that are kind of projected on this that it, it's really nice. And it's really nice. Like, I think I was aware of you having this relationship like at the time, but we never really got to talk about it. Um, and so I probably assumed some of those things too, that it's, it's just great to know that um, it went well and it's good for you to be like, be able to share with other people like those possibilities. So thank you for that. Yeah. yeah, it's possible. It's possible. And it can be good. And I'm excited to follow y'all on your journey. And I think that it can open up a lot of things for for everyone, for for the unicorn, but also in my experience, but also for you two. So thank you so much for having me join you. It's so good to see y'all. It's so good to see you too, Cass. Bye. Bye. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Um, well, so coming back from the break, you know, I, Cassidy is amazing. Mm. Loved listening to her experiences. And she has always impressed me so much with how just like open and vulnerable she is. She's like able to talk about this stuff in a way that is mm-hmm. just like, it blows my mind. I have known this about her for a long time. And today it blew my mind even more. I'm just like, she's always yeah. projected a confidence around those things that you know, based on what she was saying today, she didn't always fully feel. Um, yeah. And it's always been a talent of hers to just be open in this very kind of confident and an authentic yeah. way. She has great parents. Yeah, mm. yeah I do think her yeah. parents get some credit. Good job, guys. Really good job. <laughs> if you're listening, and you probably are because you're so great. Yeah, you so probably are listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, in but, contrast. <laughs> well, well uh, but, uh, you know, I'm curious to hear Cassidy shared with us some mistakes that she thought she had made or potential pitfalls out there. And I'm curious to hear from you all about some mistakes that maybe you've made. Yeah, I mean, to talk about it. the mistakes, we have to talk about probably what our experience with this is, which is limited relative to Cassidy's, but um, to paint with broad... <laughs> broad brush strokes uh we try oh, i think we talked about on the podcast like going out on a date with a woman together mm-hmm. um a few well several months ago yep and then um that didn't really go <laughs> anywhere that didn't really go anywhere and i think you and i were both like okay we don't really know what we want what we're doing we want to build like some confidence and some skills and so our next step was we went to a sex worker and mm-hmm. explored the sexual dynamics of a threesome in yeah. that space and that container, which I think helped us sort of like get more of a sense of what might be hard for us, what might be easy, what is fun. I found it really helpful. Yeah, I think it, that was a really good experience and like... Yeah, I know we're supposed to be talking about mistakes, but I think we actually nailed it in that case. And it if was you like, will. Uh, I will not. Um, yeah, it was, I think, uh, even, I didn't realize until after we'd done that how helpful it was to just, like, have a, um, a like, you know, kind of, like, a neutral third party mm-hmm. who was going to help us, like, negotiate some of the stuff between us around that and, like, just, like, some of the, like, experience of being, seeing each other with another person. Right in sex and seeing another person see us or having another person see us too. Like all of that stuff is, it hadn't really occurred to me that like you're doing all of that when you try to have a threesome or a triad relationship for the, for the first time. Like 
you know, and a lot more, but like even that most basic stuff without any emotional entanglements is like a complicated work to kind of get through. Yeah. So I think that helped us with a little bit of a blueprint of mm -hmm. what's easy, what's hard, what do we like, what don't we like, uh, what are we doing, what are the logistics? And so then we tried again and went on, a, dated a woman or went on a couple of dates with a woman and it didn't, the chemistry didn't quite feel yeah. right between the three and of I us. And I think maybe that's where my kind of mistake comes in. Uh, I guess in both of those first two cases, it was people who I had gone out with the first time we like met the person together and then mm -hmm. I went out with them one-on-one -on -one, kind of like what Cassidy was describing about with probably less intention behind that that's something that I you know that it was going to be a, a three-way relationship um, or we would be dating them as a couple and then the second time it was also somebody where I went out on a first date with them and then they kind of like talked about this being something that they were interested in and then I was like oh okay that sounds cool and like maybe that's kind of what I have more capacity for, or what kind of relationship I have more capacity for or interest in right now anyway. And so we kind of like pivoted to that, but I think that's an awkward, as Cassidy was start, sort of starting to say, like that's a, a, an awkward pivot to make. What do you think makes that an awkward pivot? Um, I mean, just like you're not, well, I think there's some like gender dynamics there, but like even without those, you know, you're not starting out on exactly equal footing. There's more of a rapport you know, between the two people who have met and like established chemistry or connection, and then you're bringing somebody else into that. And then when it's the man who is, you know, it's like me as a man there establishing that chemistry or rapport with another woman, it just kind of like amplifies those sort of like concerns that it is all for the man's benefit, I guess. Yeah, interesting. And I guess that folds into what I would think of as my mistake so far, um, which still applies to our most recent experience. We've been, are in the very early stages of dating a woman, and it's been pretty positive and fun so far. And it seems like the chemistry between the three of us is good. Um, but that mistake piece is still there for me. Just the fear, the very present fear that the women in these scenarios are not there because they want to be with me. Um, and in fact, like their attraction to you as the man or like the gravity of, you know, sort of straight sex uh, mm -hmm. is so that pull is so much stronger and just really having to constantly like reorient myself back to the idea that everybody's here because they want to be. Um, and that includes the two women who want to be there together. And it makes me sad that that's so hard. Yeah. And it, it like continues to be hard. And Cassidy talked about it. And I've certainly heard other women talk about that, that feeling too. Yeah. And I can definitely, I mean, I think w <laughs> when we had the encounter the, <laughs> that we had most recently, like, you know, there was some, um, like I was aware of that as well. And like when the two of you were <clears throat> making out, um, you know, it was, uh, it was present for me. Like I was like, Oh, maybe this person that we're dating is actually a lot more into women. Mm. And, and that's not to say it's the same. I think it's probably amplified for you when you're experiencing that, right. but like, it's definitely a thing that's there in a three, in a three way relationship, no matter what. Right. 
like you're always kind of questioning, like you're watching the end and you're like, I'm not like participating as much. What does that mean? Right. And like finding more meaning or insecurity in that. Right. So there's kind of what we're taught to think of as inevitable dynamics of being left out there. And then there's also that queer erasure that we've come back to a couple of times in the episode of just like, and by erasure specifically, no one's really by. No one would right. really be attracted to men and women in equal amounts. <laughs> right. Either they're a lesbian and they're just doing this as a way to get in, I guess, or whatever, <laughs> or they're, it's actually all for the, the man's benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of complicated. Yeah. And you can see where there's like a lot, it can feel fraught, and you start to understand why the culture talks about threesomes or like triad relationships as inherently unstable or potentially mm-hmm. dangerous. Yeah. Is that, is that you, know you were looking for? I, um, <laughs> um, yeah, and it's so funny. It's like, obviously, I'm so familiar with all of those, you know, the scary love triangle situation, like, and I, my mind just goes right to, like, yeah, like, a man and two women like of course the man is sort of like the the apex of the triangle and everything is like pointing towards him um and then i think about like i don't know my own life and my own experiences and i'm just like it's not actually like i mean so here's what i'm thinking about Mm. the three of us have been really good friends for our entire lives essentially yeah right and like work together as journalists for many many years have like lived together traveled mm-hmm. everything right and like sarah you and i our official title has been best friends since yes forever mm-hmm. you know you guys are married husband and wife right so like in this particular triangle maybe we could argue that sarah is the apex of this triangle mm-hmm. <laughs> Not that you and I don't have a really strong friendship, too, Alex, but it's like... Anyways. We never really talk to each other if we're not talking about Sarah. That looks kind of like a weird Bechdel test. (laughs) The Studevelt test. (laughs) Well, over the years, people have wondered about this relationship, and it has caused like a fair amount of gossip, and the uh, assumption has, you know been all over the place with like Jessica and Sarah, secret lesbian lovers, mm-hmm. Alex oh, and Jessica, secretly in love, right? Yeah. This idea mm-hmm. that again, Hands any three people <laughs> <laughs> in a close intimate relationship of any kind, there must be some kind of, to use a therapeutic term, triangulation going on, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Where two people are kind of ganging up on a third or two people's relationship are more important than the other potential relationship there's something unstable there's something dangerous there's something taboo here um it definitely has attracted that kind of attention over the years so triangulation in the therapeutic context means it's like has a negative connotation yeah i mean i i think i'm not an expert but i'll just pretend you are you're the i'm not an expert but i'll pretend to be Um, got a podcast but my kind of understanding of triangulation in the therapeutic sense of it is often between like in a couple if you're seeing a couple as a relationship and the therapist like that one member of the couple might try and like gain the favor 
of the therapist against the other member of the couple or sometimes it so it's like kind of neutral it can be used a lot of ways if you're depending on how you're engaging with it sometimes it's that the couple forms a unit against the therapist right so it's always this idea that there's like an alliance of two that could be formed to create a dynamic where they're like up against the third right so there's like an us versus them kind of thing and it's so interesting because like i think in our partnership I mean, there often will be like any combination of the two of us might share an idea, right, that the other one doesn't necessarily share. But it's like, I don't, it doesn't feel like conflict to me. It feels like a Mm -hmm. good thing, like a valuable balance. Like we're able to figure shit out because there's there's three three of us us in a way that if any two of us might just be fighting all day. Yeah, I think that's true. And I also think surely be fighting all day, actually. (laughs) And and also, like, there's a way of resolving conflict, like, Diagonal <laughs> is that a word? Uh, bilateral conflict, like between two people, having the third person there also, I think, helps you resolve that conflict sometimes because you have another person that you can both go and talk to, or like you can, you know, just like take a time out. You're not just like, you know, stuck with that one person. Part of what mm-hmm. makes that work between the three of us, and I'm thinking this maybe is a lesson that can be applied uh, beyond to triad threesome relationships is the belief that everybody here really cares about each other. Mm. So if two people are struggling, the third person, the understanding is the third person really cares about both of those people. Right. right? Mm -hmm. If one person is struggling, the understanding is that the other two really care about that person. That there's like a a mutual understanding of care and respect and appreciation. And so even in struggle, you have more of that potentially. You have Mm -hmm. more of that appreciation and care. And I think it's interesting Mm -hmm. what you said about the sort of perceived instability of a triad relationship as opposed to like a, you know, a dyad relationship Uh, because there are lots of examples of like, I mean, I, I hadn't even thought about until this point that like as a couples therapist, like that's, you're always in mm-hmm. triads with the couples, right? And yeah. like the idea is like bring in a third person to make it easier and like right. triangulating you know, and like navigation or whatever. It's like, you right. know where you're going because you have another point of reference right. that allows you to like find it. And like the three-legged stool is more stable than a two-legged stool. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't a two-legged stool just kind of a mess? And the third dimension is way better than the second dimension. But it is interesting to recognize that when we're talking about sex and love, again, as we often find ourselves in these podcasts, we see how really myopic and sort of narrow people's uh, range of kind of like stability is. They're like, there's only a few ways that love and sex can be stable and everything else is a threat. Even though as you start unpacking it, you're like, well, we have a ton of examples of how like three people in close relationship can actually like be more stable. We have tons of examples of how broader communities of care actually help like um, transition and spread uh, responsibility or uh, even burden at times of crisis. We, We have plenty of examples of that. We just never want to apply it when we're talking about love and sex and intimacy. Yeah, and, like, the idea that for a couple, if there's a third person involved, even in, like, imagination, right, or, like, you know, that it's inherently going to be destabilizing, right? Like, there's all sorts of, like, couples have all sorts of, like, policing of fantasy and porn, much less, like, other relationships 
and like the idea that that would just like that foundation would have to be very weak for any other involvement to just like cause it to break apart. Like just the presence of another person is gonna, you know, and I'm sure people have probably thought that about our working relationship too. And some of that, what you were, what you were referencing, like what's up with Sarah and Alex's marriage? Why are they always hanging out with Jessica or doing stuff with Jessica? Like that was some kind of subtractive thing Mm -hmm. when in fact, obviously it's additive, right? Do the math, bro. <laughs> I remember one conversation <laughs> in particular, someone being like, what are you guys going to do about the three of you? And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, what are you going to do? Like, are you, are you all three going to get married or like, will you all get married? And I was like, we're just going to do whatever we want. Like yeah. we've always been doing, it's going to be fine. Yeah, Why are yeah. you asking it's me this? Like, <laughs> clearly what two of us question. are going to conspire to murder the other one. Like, what? <laughs> What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So with that foundation in mind, like, I really love that we've kind of come to a place where we're finding examples in our own lives and more broadly in the culture of how more and three specifically can be very caring and stable and helpful and additive. So having found that space, revisiting some of the fears around threesomes, the fear of being left out, the fear of being like not the center of attention, the fear of being extraneous, the fear of being a cover for some other actually more meaningful relationship. Do we have like any other take on that now that we've kind of like found some alternate examples? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I might be in a little bit of a like a honeymoon moment from our like really nice date with... (laughs) a third person mm-hmm. uh, the other day, but it just seemed like it was like, you know, 33.3% more fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking, but like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, there's a lot of added complication, obviously. And like, mm-hmm. that's kind of some of the stuff that we've been, we've been talking through. And I think like a big conclusions wise, if that's what you're getting at, like clearly what Cassidy was saying was kind of like, a lot of intention, you know, I think she, she lucked out on, uh, or, you know, had the, the, the sort of correct instincts to like, try that with a couple who had a lot of communication between them, had a lot of experience and were like pretty good at, um, including her in a way that like made it work. Um, but clearly like without that, it could be, it could be really hard. And I guess we're, we also have kind of sidestepped some of the questions around, hierarchies, hierarchical non-monogamy and non-hierarchical non-monogamy and the difference of a couple, you know, you and I practice hierarchical non-monogamy and so there is a different power dynamic of a couple's relationship which is going to be like for that couple the primary relationship and inviting a third person in or a third person being interested in dating those folks as opposed to three people who are kind of coming together without those hierarchies in place so it seems important Mm. to mention that yeah totally I think there's a difference between you know a kind of like unicorn relationship and a an out and out thruple or triad Mm -hmm. relationship Um, and it seemed like Cassidy was saying that's what she wanted coming in she Mm -hmm. was like I don't want a serious relationship with these two people like I'm exploring and I want their, their relationship between them to be sort of like stronger or foundational. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a thing that people want sometimes, but probably not all the time. 
as we were talking about that, that got me thinking about the idea of being the outsider, right? Being left out for a moment, not being the center of attention. And I found myself wondering, huh, you know, how would I feel about being a unicorn? It's like come up, but very abstractly. And it just isn't something that I've paid a lot of attention to. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, for me, actually, it sounds kind of overwhelming to have two people paying that kind of intimate attention to me at once. So I just wanted to throw that in the mix, too, because I think that kind of goes against maybe the norm or the typical assumptions about feeling left out in a threesome. And I wanted to throw that. Fear of too much attention rather than too little attention. Yeah. But it's really interesting that like that fear comes up when you imagine joining an existing couple. Mm -hmm. Right. But doesn't feel that way when you're talking about inviting a person into your relationship. Yeah, no, and I don't Which know. Which would still, it's potentially still could, be right? yeah. two people paying attention to you at the same time. Still could. <laughs> I also could be a unicorn here, right? Yeah, but it's different, I think, Jessica. It like it's it, and and the thing that's different is the strong. Like when Sarah and I have, I think one of the things that we kind of like realized, we realized it really helps us to embrace the idea that we are like coming as a unit, um, and we're gonna like focus a lot of care and attention on the other person because mm -hmm. we already know how to do that. We know how to like be on the same page between the two of us most of the time. And, and we like, like giving other people attention. That is yeah. like a relaxing, fun, like sexy space that mm -hmm. we both inhabit and understand. It feels good. Like asking people questions and like making them feel seen and yeah, special. It feels mm -hmm. like a thing that you can offer to somebody that some people will want, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, people of certain zodiac signs will want that <laughs> and other ones. Although, this woman and I are both Aquarius. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Okay. So, Aquarius on Aquarius love, shout out. I've yeah. got a lot of it in Here my life. <laughs> yes. And you two are both Aquarius. Too. Yep. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Along with 90% of our best yeah. friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well. So, that just also just. <laughs> It gets me thinking about mm, that idea of communication and of care and of transparency and being able to kind of care for yourself in a threesome situation like Cassidy was describing, like knowing what you want, what you're up for, what you're not up for, and feeling grounded in that, and also being able to offer care to the other folks. Um, yeah, and I, I feel like I really appreciated that she um, expressed the boundaries, like like stated specifically the boundaries that they had had, um, that she had had and that the couple had had in that relationship. Because it like anytime somebody talks about boundaries like that, it, I get like this shamey feeling that like is, um, you know, is uh, I think is is problematic. Right. We were talking about this a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, just that like it's so hard to like have the courage to express your boundaries yes. and like mm -hmm. hear other people's because mm -hmm. like, depending on, I guess how you were raised and maybe that goes back to Cassidy's parents being cool uh, <laughs> that, you know, I think you were writing on the Instagram account um, about how like you were sort of raised in a context where like pushing your boundaries or like breaking them was seen as like an expression of love and mm -hmm. loyalty and loyalty and yeah. of avoiding conflict. And that avoiding conflict was also an expression of love and loyalty. Yeah. Um, 
And so, yeah, that gets into some like pretty deep wounds stuff quickly. I think for people is that fear of being rejected, um, or of having to run the risk of someone else feeling rejected, uh, because you're expressing boundaries. And you know what I'm kind of having a light bulb moment about, and we'll all check in on this later is maybe one of the potential advantages of a threesome is that in that sense of like relieving pressure, that because that can be so scary, the boundaries stuff, the intensity of communicating boundaries and hearing boundaries from others when it's just you two and you're doing the negotiation, maybe for the first time, maybe not, could be somewhat relieved and made more fun and exploratory by there being three people. Mm -hmm. And so it feels a lot less like a me rejection mm. or a you rejection. Mm -hmm. And it feels more like a, a kind of collaboration. Right. We're like co-creating this thing and we're going to all three may be bringing different, right. different things. And that it. like, yeah. there's two people to kind of like absorb awkwardness or absorb fear or, you know, like there's just, we can move some of that energy around and mm -hmm. right. have maybe more space for it. Until one of the other people goes to the bathroom and then it's just the two of you and it's terribly awkward. Awkward. <laughs> it's not awkward. No, it's not. I feel like every time that happens, like you're with a group of three people and one person leaves, it's always like... I'm oh, there's always awkward. a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Even just as friends when you're yeah. like, you're like, oh, me and this person are the less, you know, we're not the point of the triangle, oh, right? Yeah, the yeah. Ends. yeah. It's an open triangle. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry for that aside. Uh, I'm really into <laughs> geometry. Um, and also, th like, just throwing shade at me for going to the bathroom, which I feel like <laughs> is a theme oh, of this episode, so is a theme of this podcast, wow. and is a theme of our lives. Yeah, we should change the name, too. <laughs> Sarah, she, she pees too much. <laughs> <laughs> our, we could keep our yellow designs. Yeah, the color scheme is perfect. Yeah. Um, well, I, uh, I guess maybe in closing a little bit, just like um, I'm really finding myself appreciating the, the unicorn. Like we, I think we've talked about like a lot of stuff that like for those kinds of relationships to work, like a lot of like really important stuff that the the person in the unicorn role has to be bringing to the table and like that Cassidy was bringing to the table in the, in the relationship that she talked about. And it's like, um, it's, it's given me like a new understanding of like what that really means. And like, I'm so glad that people do embrace it. Mm -hmm. Not as like, I'm just a thing that you're trying to ex exploit or like chase. Like I think right. the trope that was in my mind when I first heard that term was like people being like, I'm not your unicorn. Right. So don't ask, uh -huh. which I can see why if yeah. you don't want to be, you don't want to be, yeah. but being able to like embody that and be like, yeah, I want the attention. I want to come in as a new person and like, um, you know, be able to like have the confidence and the boundaries and the vulnerability to, to, you know, be a part of a relationship that already exists is like, that's fucking cool. It is really cool. Um, and rare, I guess. Yeah. Or maybe not as rare as we might assume if we start thinking about it and talking about it in ways that feel more positive and less denigrated and more like creative and fun and less um, like just weird flat nineties cliches. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. If the uniform unicorn is like, stop objectifying unicorns or thinking like, why would anyone want to do this? Because we're just going to like, exploit them and take advantage with of them right is what's yeah. sort of built into that 
But like, actually, they are magical. And the reason they're magical is because they can like help all these conversations about Mm. boundaries and like, Mm. you know. But if you try to capture their magic, then that's right. It will go terribly wrong. They're, yes, their fart glitter cannot yeah. be captured <laughs> can't be or captured. collected. That's right. It can only just be sprinkled everywhere. Uh-huh. That's right. Uh-huh. That's <laughs> well, thank you for listening to Mistakes Were Made. Um, this is fun. This was a great episode. Uh, if you liked it, uh, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Instagram. Um, uh, we've been people have been finding us a little bit more yeah. recently, um, which is exciting. We actually got a proposition to um, have a sponsorship. Um, so I wanted to just like put out there to listeners. Um, we would love to hear from you. Should we accept like sponsorship uh, and be like hawking products on this? Podcast. Sex toys. We're talking about and sex toys well, right now. I was going to say, if so, which ones? <laughs> what do you think would be appropriate? Uh, what is our niche? What are you into? What do you want to have advertised to you? It could be sex toys. It could be therapy services. Uh, like, you know, e-therapy. It could be uh, Costco subscriptions. <laughs> L-shaped couches. I'm trying oh, yeah, to figure out all the other things. Yeah. L-shaped couches. Yeah. <laughs> right. No brand names unless we're getting paid, all right? Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I would never. Yeah. Um, yeah. Show, show us the money, I guess. I don't know. Why did I say that? I don't know. <laughs> because at bottom, we're just dorks. Yeah. All three of us. Great. That, that is the real stable triangle here yeah. between the three of us. Well, yeah, maybe it's pocket protectors and tape to put your glasses back together. <laughs> All right, yeah, we want to hear from you. What kind of sponsorships, if any, should we accept? I'd be curious what people say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Find out. Okay, we'll ask on Instagram, too. Sounds good. All right. Bye. Hey, thanks, Bye, guys. everybody. Thanks for being here. This was great.